0: Well, good morning, Northern Hills. I feel like I should say Merry Christmas after that snow we got. If anybody's listening to this later, it's towards the end of May right now. We got a measurable amount of snow. Welcome to Colorado. If you're new to Colorado, get used to that. There's at least one good snow in May every single time, it was fun. But I got a question. I'm curious if anybody in here has ever heard this term before, helicopter parent. Is anybody familiar with this term? Now, if you're new to it, this is a parent who is overly protective or just excessively interested in the life of their kid. So some of you guys know these are the parents who tightly manage every single detail of their kids' schedules and their time. Teachers in the room, these are the parents that have your school on speed dial. You know these parents, (laughs) all right? Now, this is how extreme this has gotten. This is no joke. There are stories coming out now of parents actually talking to potential employers about their kids and taking the job, their adult children. This is, these are real stories. Now, I'm old enough, guys, some of you guys maybe can relate, to where I remember as a kid just leaving my house in the morning and not coming home till nighttime, and nobody ever called. Nobody was looking for me. My mom knew I would at some point in time come home. And yet, funny enough, I was at our neighborhood park just a couple months ago. This is no joke. And there were a couple elementary-age girls there, and they had GPS location devices locked to their wrists. Now, here's the thing. I know it's easy to sometimes pick on parents today and talk about just how insane things have gotten, but we have to acknowledge something. Kids are growing up in a very different world today than a lot of us grew up in. Just, just very different. If you even follow the 24-7 news cycle at all, if you are a parent, Honestly, it can feel like every single adult is like some potential predator for your child. It can feel like every single school is some indoctrination camp. It can just feel like this entire world is not safe for any child, and you just need to helicopter them to death. Just put them in a bubble, because the cultural forces are too strong. And actually, some of you guys, I don't know if I'm making a generational gap here or not. Has anybody know the the show I Love Lucy? Is anybody familiar with this show? Uh, We got some excitement around I Love Lucy? Okay, I like it. Now... The funny thing about this show, if you don't know much about it, so Lucy and Ricardo, they were actually married in the show and in real life. And in the 1950s, it was considered so scandalous to even show a married couple sitting in a bed together. They had separate beds on the show. Now, I'm not talking about that just to talk about some idyllic past or whatever that we need to try to get back to because I am grateful for some of the technological social advantages of our day, but we have to acknowledge something, guys. You look at any of the metrics around kids these days, whether it be mental health, anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicidal ideation, even attempts, loneliness, social connection, even things around just sexual uh, dysphoria, dysfunction, confusion, all these things, even with all of our progress, all of those metrics are on a massive increase. And even in the spiritual dynamic of things, at this point in time, this has been a common statistic now in the church, about 70 percent. Of anybody who's raised in the church will leave the church by the time they graduate from high school. 70%. And actually 80% of anybody raised in the church will be totally disengaged from church by the end of their 20s. Now here's the thing. That is a pretty large statistic. Nobody drives a car that leaks 80% of the gas. You don't want to be in a boat that has an 80% leak rate. Like this is this is a number we have to pay attention to, and which is why last week we started the series, Raise Them Up. We made this case last week that kids are the single greatest mission field on planet Earth. And that if we have any hope to change the spiritual trajectory of this next generation, it has to start with the kids. And I was careful to note, guys, this is not a parenting series. This is not just for the moms and the dads in the room. This is about our collective responsibility as a church and as followers of Jesus to help raise kids up that can step into this culture with the real favor and power of God now the question though is is it even possible to do that because we truly live in a tough time right now for kids i mean the the cultural forces are strong you just got to ask is there any way to really change the trajectory like is it even possible to do this or honestly should we just put bubble wrap around all the kids and call it a day now i actually want to make a case that we can and we're going to give a little history lesson here i think this will be interesting to some of you guys maybe you haven't heard a twist on this before we're going to rewind all the way back to the 6th century BC. Now, at this moment in history, there's a lot of power shifts happening in the world. And the Babylonian Empire rose to become the most powerful, wealthy, advanced empire the world had ever seen at this moment. And actually, its capital was Babylon, which is in modern day Iraq today. And Babylon was the most diverse, pluralistic, progressive, promiscuous city the world had ever seen in this moment. This is like, New York City, San Francisco, and Vegas all had a baby and made a city together. I mean, we're talking like pretty intense right now. This is the absolute capital of like worldliness and decadence and all of those things. And at this moment in time, the Babylonian Empire, this powerhouse empire, actually um, defeats and takes over Israel. They take over the whole nation and they sack the whole place. And at this point in time, the winning empire would actually take the nation that they defeated and bring them and assimilate them into their nation. So to change their language, their customs, their culture, and basically pulverize their identity. And that was a way just to make sure there was no risk of anybody fighting back. And so all these Jewish people get taken to Babylon in exile. And one person that was a part of this exile experience was a teenage boy named Daniel. Now think about this, this teenage kid he gets taken away from his family he gets taken out of his country this totally new culture he's dropped at the center of the most hostile culture you could possibly imagine as a young kid and we actually pick up the story of what happens to Daniel in the book of Daniel the Bible I'm gonna start in verse 5 and this is what it says they were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service so this is talking about Daniel he gets selected as this high potential young kid to basically go through the ultimate college experience, all right? This is like full-on, completely change everything about your identity. He even gets a new name. I mean, this is totally like a brainwashing system here. And yet, Daniel should disappear off the face of history right here. We should never hear from him again. He should just assimilate to the Babylonian system. It's all done. But actually, his story doesn't stop there. It continues. And in verse 8, it says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. So Daniel's at the center of this intensely potent cultural system, the most powerful nation in the world, trying to assimilate and indoctrinate him. And he takes a stand and he refuses to compromise his commitment to God as a teenage boy at the center of Babylon. Not only that, once he finishes these three years of training, it says this in verse 19, the king talked with him. This is Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful kings that has ever lived in human history. And he found none equal to Daniel. This young kid has a competence level that is far and above anybody around him, the most powerful place in human history. And you actually fast-forward Daniel's life a couple years, and we see another moment in Daniel 6.3. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps, they're like governors, by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And you know what happens? Exactly that. Daniel, after the king, as this Jew in exile, becomes the most powerful, influential person at the center of a dominant pagan empire. It's ridiculous. And it doesn't even stop there. Chapter 6, verse 28, this is a summary, basically, of Daniel's life. It says, so Daniel, what does it say? Prospered during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So it's saying, through all of Daniel's years, living in the center of Babylon the cultural force of the day, the most hostile, godless nation you could imagine. He didn't just survive, he thrived. And Daniel would go on to make a massive contribution to human history. It was never the same because of Daniel's life. And so this just leads me to a question, guys. How? How does a teenage kid go to Babylon and have such a massive impact? How does a 17-year-old kid end up so well-prepared to live out his faith in the most hostile conditions? How does he have so much courage in the face of these powerful kings and this cultural system? How is he able to have such an uncompromising commitment to God that he's able to live it out all the way to the end of his days? And that's what happens to Daniel, guys. He spends his entire life in exile. Babylon becomes his home. Never goes back to Israel lives out all his days there, and dies in Babylon, and his life ends there. Now, I have a case to make today. I really believe, guys, that we are increasingly living in a modern day Babylon. I really do. You look at just the trajectory our current culture is on, and it's becoming more and more of a potent force for shaping this next generation in particular in its image. In ways that pull them away from the things of God. I mean you just look at technology and the access we have to some of the worst forms of humanity just in your phone alone. You do look at the schools guys, we have to acknowledge that schools are becoming a battleground for the faith in so many different areas and ways. The moral standards of our culture are decaying and fracturing. We don't have a shared value system. We are living in modern-day Babylon. And there's another thing we have to acknowledge this though, acknowledge about this. This is reality you just gotta face. Every single kid is going to Babylon today. Every single child is gonna have to step into the center of a hostile culture for matters of faith. I don't care how much helicoptering you try to do, I don't care how much bubble wrap you have in your house, you are not going to be able to stop these kids from stepping into Babylon. And if there is any hope for this next generation, for them to step into this culture with real courage, and power, and confidence, I think we only have one option, guys. There's only one thing you can do to guarantee that your kid thrives in this current cultural moment. And it's this, we must raise up modern day Daniels. That is the only way this works. Oh, you can clap there, okay, that's, I mean, there's gonna be other clapping opportunities in this sermon, hopefully. But um, here's what I mean by this, guys. We need to raise up young boys and girls that are so full of God's presence and power that they have this uncompromising commitment to God no matter where he calls them. And they can thrive wherever they're at no matter how hostile the culture is. That is the call of the church, to raise up kids like that. But then you got to ask, how do you do that? Where do you even begin to raise up a kid who, by the time they're a teenager, they can step into any cultural context and thrive? Now, what's interesting about Daniel is when his story starts, he's already a teenager, if you read the book of Daniel. But we actually know what context Daniel grew up in as a kid. We actually see that, and this might be some details in the Bible that you've never made a connection with, so this might be interesting to some of you guys. Daniel, as a child, grew up during a very interesting time in Israel's history. So this is before he goes into exile. This was a tumultuous, tumultuous time in the nation. There was severe moral and spiritual decline. The strength of the whole nation was starting to fracture. There was corruption at the highest levels of leadership and government. They were extremely vulnerable to outside forces, and they were actually on a crash course, crash course for total collapse. I know this doesn't sound familiar to anybody today, but um, you might be able to make some connections. Now. Here's what's interesting though. Israel's struggling. The nation is really falling apart. There's a young man who becomes king during this time, a guy named Josiah. Interesting thing about Josiah is he starts to turn the hearts of the nation. He starts to change the spiritual temperature. And actually, through his influence and some other people, Israel experiences one of the greatest renewals and revivals in their history completely changing the trajectory of the country. And Daniel is born and grows up in this context. So what environment was Daniel raised in? He was raised in an environment of intense spiritual potency. Daniel was raised in an environment where passion for God was the air that everyone was breathing. That devotion to God was the water that everybody was swimming in. Daniel was exposed to a culture of radical commitment to God. Radical commitment. So by the time he had to go to Babylon, he had already been immersed in this. It was the water he was swimming in. It was the air he was breathing. So by the time he's in Babylon, he has an uncompromising, radical commitment to God where he's not just surviving in a hostile culture, he is thriving. So this is the secret, guys. The secret truly to raise up modern-day Daniels is the spiritual environment that kids experience growing up. It's the key piece to set them up on the right trajectory. Now, this isn't just any spiritual environment. This is a red-hot, passionate, spiritual ecosystem that kids get immersed in. So by the time they step out, their own passion for God sticks with them through the rest of their lives. Now, I have to acknowledge something right here, guys. Um, We don't have any kings in the room that I know of right now. I don't know if anybody has complete national influence over a whole country. But what we do have is an opportunity to create a true revival, renewal community right here in this church. We have an opportunity to create an environment where kids grow up and they catch the fire and passion for God off of our lives. We have an opportunity to send them into the world with all of the favor, presence, and power of God that they experience through this collective community. That is our opportunity, guys. And what are the ingredients then? How do we start to stir the pot of renewal and spiritual transformation in kids' lives here? All of us have this responsibility. This is not just on the moms and dads. Every single person here, we have a responsibility for this. So what are the ingredients? This is where a good part to start taking some notes, all right? This is where it gets real applicable. We're going to look at Josiah's revival and see how it applies to us and what we can do here in our moment. So the first thing, guys, you have to rekindle your passion. You've got to rekindle your passion. Look what it says about Josiah right here. Second Chronicles 34.3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, this is an important note, because Josiah wasn't literally King David's kid. He was a descendant. It had been a couple of years since David lived. This isn't so much talking about his relationship to David as much as it's talking about the God that Josiah is seeking. Right, this author is taking careful note to say, no, you need to understand, Josiah's not just going through some flavor-of-the-month spirituality. He's not just building his own worldview that will suit him. He is seeking the one and only God, the true God, who would ultimately be revealed in Jesus himself. This is a really important note to make, guys, because even in our cultural moment, we love to say things like, you do you, right? Right? You do you, I'll do me, and it's all gonna be good. Let's be a tolerant society. And it sounds so good. It's like, yes, let's all hug and be friends. But here's the thing. You don't get just to believe whatever you want. You don't get to just put together some spiritual buffet and say, this works for you. That is not how this thing works. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is destroying people's lives when we say, oh yeah, you just believe your thing, I believe my thing. No, there's only one God, guys. There's only one person you can seek that can really transform your life. There's only one hope. I like this guy over here. You're gonna keep helping me preach, okay? I know who you are. All right, I met you now, all right? Keep me going. But that, that, that's the thing, guys. So some of us in here, you'd say, well, I'm not even that much of a spiritual person, Brian. I'm not that religious. Yes, you are. Every single person in here, you are giving your life to something. You're giving your focus to something. You're spending your energy on it. You are worshiping. Some of us, it's money. Some, it's our career, it's our physical appearance, some of us are helicopter parents, and your kids are little idols that you worship every single day. We all worship. You're seeking something. And this author right here is saying, you gotta understand, Josiah is starting to seek God. And this was a massive departure from what was happening generations before him, because most of the kings weren't. They were just building their own little worldview, what would be politically expedient for them, and Josiah starts to go after God himself. And this is what's so important about seeking, guys. God makes some interesting promises when it comes to seeking him. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Matthew 7, this is Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Hebrews, the writer says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is God's guarantee to you guys. If you will genuinely seek God with a sincere heart, you will not be disappointed. He's going to show up. You're going to get something out of it. He will not come short for you. But this is where we start to get twisted on this thing. Because let's just own this, guys. A lot of times when it comes to seeking, we're like, you know what? I'll seek God, but I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm going to do it when it's convenient for me what's comfortable for me. So, you know, during the holiday season, and I feel a little, little bit of the spirituals. I'll maybe, maybe do a little bit more seeking. Or if I'm going through a hard time, then I definitely will do some prayers. But otherwise, I got my thing going, and I'll seek after God my way. Well, here's the thing, guys. It don't work that way. You can't just be half-hearted about this thing and expect results. You can't just have a lukewarm, limp-wristed seeking effort and expect God to really show up powerfully. God's seeking is not a casual endeavor. It's work. You have to work when it comes to this seeking thing. There's probably some of us in this room, you wouldn't even recognize this term, the Moravians. This was a Christian group from a couple hundred years ago in Europe. And the interesting thing about the Moravians, they're this small little Christian community, but they started to get frustrated with the apathy and complacency that they were just experiencing in their culture. And so they start this little prayer gathering, just this little thing. This little prayer gathering ended up becoming a 100-year-long 24-7 prayer movement. No, you heard me, 100 years. (laughs) You're like, minutes? I don't know if I can do 100 minutes. 100 years of 24-7 prayer, and they actually experienced one of the greatest revivals in missionary movements we have ever seen in the history of humanity. Guys, that's what you call seeking. All right, that's next level seeking right there. Now, I'm not saying we necessarily need to launch some 100 year long 24 7 prayer movement. That's quite a commitment. But it gives you an idea of the intensity that people get about this type of thing. Anytime you see seeking in the Bible, or you see it talked about throughout history, the powerful revivals and moves of God, it always starts with prayer. That is the key single ingredient to any powerful move of God. Spurgeon was a pastor from a while ago. He said this, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. So I have to ask you today, how is your prayer life? What is your spiritual temperature right now? If we have any hope change the spiritual trajectory of this next generation, guys, it is going to require an intensity in our seeking. It's gonna require all of us to raise our spiritual temperature. And I know sometimes when it comes to prayer, every single one of us, we never feel like we're living up to the standard, right? We fall short, we get lazy, we forget, it just feels kind of hodgepodge it doesn't feel like it's working sometimes, I totally get that. But I want to jumpstart some of the prayer efforts in some of our lives here today. I just want to give you some practical handles. If you just need a kickstart to your prayer life, here's just a simple tool you can use. It's actually a little acronym. It's ACTS, A-C-T-S. So if you want to start praying, this is just a framework you can use to guide your prayers so you don't get stuck. So A is simply adore. Take some time when you start praying to just worship God. Adore Him. Just be like, God, I know you are powerful. I know you're my provider. I know you're with me every day. Just anything you can think of to stir up your faith and worship God. It gets your faith moving. So start with adoration. Second is confess. Take some time to just confess the things going on in your life before God. The sins, the struggles, the trials, the things happening, it cleanses your soul. So take some time to confess. The third one, though, is T, thank. Just thank God. It doesn't matter how little it is, how simple it is. When you start to see the provision and power of God in your life through thanking Him, even for the smallest thing, it starts to help you see how good He truly is, and you trust Him for more. And then the last one is seek Take some time when you pray and truly seek after God with some real passion and expectation. There is nothing too great or too small. Seek after Him. But guys, this seeking thing, it's not just your private prayer life. It's what's happening here right now. This is what we call the corporate gathering of the church. This is what Sundays are. This is the community of God coming together. And here's the thing. This has been happening since the very beginning of the church, guys. This is such a critically important piece to your spiritual life. And it's risky, though, because sometimes Sundays, you know what our mindset becomes? A little consumeristic. And so we come into church, we're like, so what's in this for me? How's the coffee? How's the music? Do I like that song? I don't really want to sing that song because I don't really like it. The music's a little too loud. Anyways, how are my kids going to like this thing? It's cold in here. What's going on? And you're just me, 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 me. (laughs) And actually... Pastors, churches, we do this bad too, though, because you know what we say? We're like, man, we don't want anybody to be mad at us or leave. So let's keep everybody as happy as possible. Don't stir the pot. And here's the thing. Let's put the bar as low as we possibly can so everybody can get over it and we're all happy. All right? So just don't rock the boat too much. All right? We got to keep the giving up. All right? I'm just saying that's real talk right there. And you know what's kind of fascinating when it comes to the church stuff? We even honestly, we just get flipping about it. Let's just be honest. It's like man i'm tired i was out late last night i'm not really in mood let's just watch it online i'll listen back to it on my commute you guys know that actually in colorado if you show up to church one out of every six weeks you are considered a faithful consistent church participant (laughs) nine weeks out of the year you're good you're killing it if you make it once every six weeks you are crushing it now here's the thing with that though guys this is about the next generation what message are we sending the kids If we don't even prioritize this stuff in our lives, if we have no passionate commitment to it, why would we expect them to care about this if nothing in our lives communicates to them that this actually matters? And guys, when it comes to corporate worship, this is an intensely spiritual and communal experience. You are making a public declaration just by being here that God matters that He deserves to be a priority in your life. You're making this commitment for the world to see, I'm going to put God first in my life. You are encouraging the faith of everybody in this room just by your attendance. You're saying, it matters that we're here. I care about this community. And guys, when you engage, it's not a passive experience. This is a communal experience happening right here. When we sing, that's not just to warm you up a little bit before I talk. We are engaging with the living God. We're wrestling through the words of these songs, asking ourselves, do I actually believe this stuff? We're singing it into our hearts. When I'm preaching, you should have a Bible out being like, does Brian know at all what he's talking about right now? I'm going to read this thing for myself. You should be digging into this, taking some notes, wrestling with it, giving me some amens from time to time, help a brother out when he's preaching. It's an engagement experience. This is a communal opportunity. It's a living witness to the world that God deserves first in our life, guys. When you, when you sing, dig in. You know, I, I refuse to be a part of a Christian cruise ship. I don't want to just attend a building and show up for some spiritual goods and services that are just good enough so I'm not complaining and sending emails to the pastor, which you don't. Thank you for that. I love you guys. But just so we can keep everybody happy enough and content enough and complacent enough, just so God doesn't do anything powerful, but we at least can check a spiritual box. Guys, we are called to be a spiritual battleship. We are called to take kingdom territory. We're called to play offense. We're called to push evil back. That is what we're called to, guys. I'm just dreaming of a day. I'm dreaming. Maybe this is a little bit extreme. This is my dream though. I'm dreaming of a day When people show up on Sundays and are flooding the front rows because they can't wait to see God show up. There's just an expectation. It's just flooded. I'm dreaming of a day, guys, when there's so much engagement in the singing of this worship that even the worship, we can't even hear them. People are complaining about how loud the church is when they're singing. They're wearing earplugs for that. That's my dream. Guys, I have a dream that one day when we open prayer up at the end of the service, it's not just for a smattering of people with personal needs. I'm praying that we have a flood of people every single week seeking after the living God because we would never want to miss an opportunity to pray in community together because we know the power of it. That's what I'm praying for for this church, guys. That's what I want to see. Northern Hills. Let's be a church that kindles this passion. Let's seek after God for the sake of this next generation. That's the environment we're called to create for them. But it's not even just rekindling your passion. There's a second piece to this, all right? Repent of your sin. Oh, yes, yeah, about to get real here, folks. Second Chronicles 34.3, this is Josiah again. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. So at this moment of time, All these things this verse is referencing, it's talking about places, practices, possessions, all sorts of things that have been drawing people's hearts away from God. And Josiah starts to address this. Now we live in a cultural moment too, guys, where we have plenty of places and possessions and types of things pulling us away from God. Sometimes we don't even realize the pull and power of the culture on us. Whether it's through your phone, apps, commercials, ads, conversations, music, whatever it is, before you know it, you can get totally pulled outside of the boundaries of God's will for your life and not even realize it's happening. Romans 6, Paul says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Guys, these are strong words. Paul is saying if you are truly serious about your faith, you need to have zero tolerance for sin in your life. There's no moderation with this sin thing, guys. There's no sin management. It needs to be put to death. And I need to just take a moment. I'm I'm just talking to some Christians now. Some of you guys, maybe you've been walking with God for years, right? I'm, I'm talking to you. There's a lot of us in this room. You know the standard of God. You know his call on your life. You know his standards around sexual purity. And you also know you are far outside those boundaries. Some of us in here, you know the call of God to faithful stewardship and generosity. And you have all sorts of justifications for why you don't. But the honest truth is you don't trust God you're disobeying him. Some of us in here, there is a substance in your life. You would call it a bad habit, it's an addiction, and it is sin, and it is damaging your life. A lot of us in here would say, oh I'm just really busy. No, God's not a priority in your life. He doesn't matter to you, and it's sin. For so many of us guys, there's resentment, there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's judgmentalism in our hearts. Guys, this is not a game. We're playing for keeps right now, guys. You don't get a redo. There's no do-overs with this thing. This is about the next generation. And you might be thinking that you have not compartmentalized or you're managing it. Trust me, you're not. Your sin is seeping into every area of your life. It's affecting your relationship with God. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your job. It's affecting this church. If we have any hope to raise up this next generation, guys, it requires us to commit ourselves to live lives of real holiness, personally and collectively. And for anybody in here, if your sin is not bothering you enough to address it, you need to hear this today. Your sin is what sent Jesus to the cross. Your sin killed God. Now, out of love, He willingly went to the cross on our behalf. But that is how heinous our sin is. It killed the living God. It is that horrible. And this word repent, guys, it gets such a bad rap in our culture because what we picture when we hear the word repent is all the angry old guys on the corners with microphones and signs, right? That's what we think of. And actually, all repent means is to change your mind. It means you're changing your orientation, which leads to deliberate redirection in your life. So genuine repentance always leads to genuine change every single time. And this is what happens to Josiah. He sees the sin in his life and in the entire culture, and he says, we have to address this. And he purges the nation of its sin. What do you need to purge today? What needs to be put to death in your life? Every single one of us, guys, we are called to repent before God and change our direction towards His holiness, His call, and purposes for our lives. Jesus, Matthew 5 says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Thank you, Jesus, for the graphic detail there. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now Jesus is using extreme language to prove a point. He's saying you got to take this sin thing seriously. Guys, the kids coming up behind us, they are depending on us to live lives of holy integrity. We don't wanna leave just a pile of regrets, mistakes, and sin for the next generation to clean up for us. We want to leave a legacy of faith, power, and favor from God for them to step into. That is what we are called to, and it requires repentance. Okay, there's one more piece to this though. Last one, renew your commitment. Renew your commitment. Now, at one point in time, during this whole revival experience that Josiah is leading, they actually come across what is called in in the Scripture, the book of the law. And this is actually like the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, it's sometimes called. Guys, they find the Bible. (laughs) Things had drifted so much that they lost the Bible. And they start reading, and they're like, oh my goodness, we're not doing any of this stuff. We should probably do that. And so Josiah organizes a whole renewal ceremony for the whole community. It says this in 2 Kings 23, The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So they renew their commitment to God. They're like, we're going to be serious about this, but this is the key point, guys. Once they do this, Look what happens next. This is God responding. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God, I have heard you, declares the Lord. And God ignites the most powerful revival and spiritual renewal the nation had ever seen. Hear me today, guys. Your personal commitment matters. And it's not just for you. It's for you It's for this church. It's for the generation coming up behind you. Every single one of us needs to make a decision today. You know what? I am not going to be casual anymore about this faith thing. I'm not just going to be lukewarm. I am going to get serious about my devotion to God because there's people depending on me to live a life of real faith and seriousness about this. Guys, this next generation, your kids, your grandkids, Your nieces, your nephews, your students, they are going to Babylon. You can't stop that. But what we can do is we can raise them up to live lives of power and conviction so they can transform the world from the inside out, guys. That's our opportunity to create revival ecosystem in this church So kids can be ignited with the power and presence of God that will carry them wherever He goes. It starts with every single person here today. You have to rekindle your passion. These kids are depending on you. You got to repent of your sin. It's time to purge. It is time to renew your commitment and get serious about this. One person doing this is good guys an entire community doing this that is what is going to change the trajectory of this next generation and that is why we made this announcement last week of the launch of Hills Academy if you missed it we made this exciting announcement last week that Hills Academy is coming to this church this is (laughs) exciting this is gonna be a world-class premium early education center for this next generation to completely change their spiritual trajectory so they can thrive in today's culture and not just survive it. And we went before everybody last week. We said, hey guys, our bare minimum we need, because we had some resource and we needed to make this happen, to update some of the spaces, get the staff going. We said our lipstick on the pig amount, all right, the bare minimum was $50,000. 50, we said we need that. We have to at least hit that to even have a conversation about this. Anybody interested on the updates of where we're at with uh, this kind of stuff? Or should I save it for next week? Or who wants to hear it now? (laughs) So, guys, as of even just a couple days ago, our total is already (laughs) $66,275. Now, not only that, look at this, $43,000 has already been given like it's in the bank ready to go almost the minimum amount that's crazy that's some crazy and that was basically Monday all that was in guys this is an unbelievable thing that guys just doing right here and I just want to thank so many of you guys who have stepped up and actually that was that was 42 individuals and families there are so many of you I know still that are praying that needed some time to process needed to talk about people that you're accountable to financially guys we're just getting started. We, we can't stop now. I know you're like, well, hey, we hit the 50. I'm telling you, 50 was our, our baseline. We can't even talk until we hit that. 100% of this is going to these kids, guys. There's no extra things we're going to. It's all in on this. We need everybody to put skin in the game. And I just got a text from a man in our church on Thursday. He's like, Brian, I want to make sure we keep people's hearts set on this thing. I want to do another matching gift for the church. He said, for the next 5,000 that comes in on Sunday, I will match to bring us to another 10 on top of that. So we'll be at about $80,000 right there. That's awesome. So, guys, I'm asking you, we need to change the spiritual trajectory of this next generation. It is going to require all of us to do this. I'm asking every person in here to step into this opportunity. I want every person who's a part of Northern Hills, when this academy launches, to be able to see all the kids coming through and have that satisfaction of knowing, I invested in that. I invested in the kingdom moving forward through those kids. I get a piece of that joy and celebration of all that God's doing through that. I want you to have that satisfaction. And guys, we need everybody to step in, guys. There's so many more of us. I know they're still wrestling through this. This is the ask I'm putting before our church. I'm asking everybody to pray and consider about making a special one-time gift to start this thing off. We need to jumpstart and give this momentum. We want to do all these renovations, updates, and get this thing going this summer, like now, literally now. So for those of you guys who have given already, that's extremely helpful. But we also need—this is an and, not even an or. I'm asking everybody to do both. This is ideal. That not only would you give a special gift, but you'd also also commit to a monthly amount from June to December, the rest of this year, to give this academy some sustainability so it can get off to a strong start. And for those of us in this room, you should have seen like a little brochure on a chair nearby. It has more information about what the academy is going to be doing. It even has a physical commitment card in there. If you like doing that old-school route, writing it down, You can sign it and put it right in the box at the hot air balloon in the lobby. You can do that today. If you're more of a digital person, anybody, whether you're online or even here in the room, you can go to nhills.org slash hillsacademy. It's a digital commitment card you can do there, and you can even start your giving right there. Guys, I'm asking us to keep stepping up, guys. I got a number in my mind that I would love to see our church hit. I'm not going to vocalize it quite at this point, but I'm believing in faith, guys, that we're going to see God move powerfully, and He already is. So thank you for stepping up, guys within the first day we were already crossing just our minimum commitment goal. It's amazing. And just one other side note on this as we get ready to close. um, We are looking for staff. We're in the process of hiring a director, staff, for anybody in the room. I just got to keep putting this out there. If you have any credentials, connections, relationships, there is nothing too small that might move us in the direction of helping this thing launch sooner than later. So we'd love to talk about that. Somebody came up to me last week, they said, Brian, you gotta open this up to even more people outside of Northern Hills. My mom would love to give to this thing. She watches online every week. So for all you grandmas and aunties and uncles out there, we're we're a national ministry guy. I know we got people in Iowa, Alabama, Florida, Illinois. (laughs) Most of you have the last name Bigger, but we love you anyways. (laughs) But here's the thing, truly, anybody who's joining us online, I know there's plenty of you guys around the country who still call this church home or love what's happening here. Please, we'd love to have you invested in this too. And for anything like that, guys, There's one other thing actually that happened last week that just encouraged me. There's a handful of you guys that people have come up and said, Brian, I own a landscaping company or I'm a contractor or I do other construction stuff. So whether you own a business or you have connections, we would love to have conversations. We'd love to utilize people connected to this church. We'd love to see what opportunities there are with that. So please do this. For any of that stuff, guys, you can email Pastor John. Okay, j-o-n-h at nhills.org please email him flood his inbox with whatever you can and we'll do that and guys just to show you I think this is just God's affirmation that we're heading the right way I just feel like he's sending little encouragements all the way at the 9 a.m. service we actually baptized two little girls already two modern-day Daniels that are coming up through this church we actually have some pictures through that that just happened today guys and you know it's such an affirmation for God because we want to do that thousands And thousands and thousands of times over, young people catching the passion and love for Jesus young and walking with him in his power and his favor. Guys, that is the church we are called to. To raise up kids that we don't have to helicopter around or put in a little bubble. That by the time they're teenagers, we can send them anywhere in the world and they're not just going to survive, they are going to thrive and they're gonna transform this world from the inside out. That is the church God is calling us to be. So every single one of us has an opportunity to create this environment. Let's be a church of real passion, guys. Let's be a church that deals with our sin. Let's be a church that has a radical commitment to the things of Jesus for the sake of this next generation. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful that even just a couple days after making this announcement, Lord, we're already surpassing that baseline number. Thank you for just opening hearts in this church. Thank you for helping us just catch this vision for this next generation. And I pray for anybody who's still processing and praying, Lord, that you would help us all share in this responsibility of raising up this next generation. And I do pray, Lord, that you would use this church in a powerful way that we could create a revival community here in Northern Hills where just your power and presence is so potent. These kids couldn't imagine doing anything else other than giving their lives fully to Jesus and his purposes for them. I pray they would just catch it off of our lives or that this truly could be a hub of raising up some of the greatest Christian leaders the kingdom has seen, Lord. We pray for that opportunity. We pray you would use us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.